Now, let me, let me just say this to you. In 52 years of preaching this gospel, I've been to a lot of churches that were one year old, but I have never been in my life to a church that is one year old that looks and feels like this place. I, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, I, I've worshiped today with you, but mostly I've just been all eyes and ears, just taking in the glory of what God is doing. Here's, see, here's what you have to understand is that you are his glory. You are his glory. Those that have been born again, those that have been washed by the blood, those that have been filled with his Holy Spirit, those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, you are his glory. People talk about the glory of the Lord filling all the earth. I don't know what you see when you see that, but I hope you don't see something moving in the atmosphere because that's certainly not what God's talking about. What God's talking about is you. Because the only place that the glory of God resides in the earth is in you. That is the only residence of the glory. Your pastors are dear to me. I, uh, I don't know a greater testimony than John Skipworth. And I watched him today and I said, you know, obviously Pastor John made some covenants with God years ago. Years ago when he would just have loved to have walked out and experienced freedom on one day. He made some covenants with God. He told God, I'll always be a worshiper if you bless me. I'll always give everything I've got every moment in your presence because if you want to know how to worship in this church, I have never in my life seen a better visual aid than that man right there worshiping God. Pastors John and Brooke have impacted the world already. I know their history. Many of you do. But I can tell you in Shreveport, Louisiana, they are honored as those that have gone on to preach the gospel and to do greater things. We are so overwhelmed and blessed and in a godly way, incredibly proud of your two pastors. We love you. Amen, amen, amen. How many of you are ready for the Word of God? Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Word today will be rich. We pray, O oh God, that it will be laser-focused to the needs and the desires of our hearts. We pray that it will build faith within us so that we might, through faith, establish your kingdom. And we pray, oh God, that during the next few minutes, we will be exhilarated one more time by the fact that we have a God that not only desired to speak to us, but who made it clear by giving us a book. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. I have my friend and my brother, actually the only little brother I have on, on the earth. He, we started a ministry together when I was 17 and he was 16. Uh, we preached all over Louisiana at that age. And um, he was the keyboard player for a little... Christian band I had called the Vessels. We traveled. All of this is familiar to us as teenagers because, as I said, we preached. But Dan, I'm so happy you're with me. Stand up and let the people see you. Dan Newman. (laughs) 
I want to speak to you for a few minutes on the subject of who are they anyway? Who are they anyway? You know, the single most quoted authority on every conceivable subject is they. Do you agree? You know, they say there are six teaspoons of sugar in every can of Coca-Cola. That doesn't discourage me. I just want one right now. You know, they say thin-skinned fruit is full of pesticides. You know, they say regular exercise actually creates new neural paths in the brain. You know, they say North Korea has an interballistic missile that can reach Washington, D.C. In our conversations, we seldom know the source of our data, but that's okay. From sports to politics to recipes to health and medicine, they will do. After all, they are the unchallenged experts in every field. Now, some of the most important they's you will ever encounter are found in the covenant of God. The Bible is full of they's. You probably know some of these passages. Say them with me. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, for blessed are the peacemakers, for shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 4.31, this is another Holy Ghost they. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God boldly. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Bible's full of they's. And here in Romans chapter 10, if you want to turn there with me, we again meet an important set of they's. Verse 14 says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This morning, I want to simply tell you who they are in this passage. For here, they are at the center of the most important struggle of human history. And in this passage, they are your objective as a church plant every day that you live. Here's the first they. They are lost. I want you to say that with me. They are lost. You know, the number of Christians around the world has nearly quadrupled 
in the last 100 years, from about 600 million in 1910 to more than 8 billion in 2022 who call themselves Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. But the world's overall population has also risen rapidly from an estimated 1.8 billion in 1910 to 8 billion in 2022. As a result, Christians, Christians make up about the same proportion of the world's population today that's 32% as they did a century ago. And that number, I think I got the number wrong, is actually, actually 3 billion that say that they are believers today out of 8 billion. This means today, as we worship in this sanctuary, there are approximately 5 billion people on the planet that are still lost. They're lost. And what does it mean? You know, if I were to take you back, you could give me a very detailed definition of what that meant when you were lost. You see, being lost, first of all, means they're defenseless. They're lost. They're defenseless against sickness, addiction, demonic bondage, every destructive strategy of the devil. They are lost and defenseless. John 10 and 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You watch people all around you, your neighbors, your relatives, even your children. So many who are lost. And every day, the devil is stealing something from them. Killing opportunities. Destroying destiny. They are lost. I can remember when I was a child that believers would weep for hours around the altars and they weren't crying out that God would supply their needs. They weren't crying out for another ministry opportunity. They weren't crying out, God, grow my business, grow my church. What they were crying out was this, oh God, they're lost. They're lost, they're lost. Please, oh God. Give us a way to reach them because they're lost. They're lost. It means they are deceived and they're believing a lie. Romans 1.25 says this, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. I've never in my life seen such deception. Do you understand that we are not just facing a humanistic, self-centered world, but we are facing a world that has made humanism and self-centeredness a religion, a God. They cry out with conviction. They go to the streets. They demonstrate they cry out and they destroy in the name of their faith in themselves. People are lost. They're deceived. They believe a lie. It means they are doomed. They're doomed to pass on the curse of sin to their children. We often talk about things like generational wealth, how important it is. For us to create generational wealth. Even believers talk about how important it is, according to the scriptures, that you leave an inheritance for your children's children. But we need to focus this morning on the fact that people are lost and that they are passing on generational curses to their children. That there are children in this community that we must get into our programs in this church. We must go after them like we used to go after them. I'll never forget when I was preaching for a man by the name of Tommy Barnett. And I didn't preach for him in Phoenix where he built a huge mega church and still to this day has impacted that area as no man in its history. 
I preached for him long before he established a dream center in Los Angeles where he has literally touched that entire city with the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching out to the marginalized. I preached for him in his first pastorate. Pastor John, I was with him when he was just a couple of years into his very first job and calling as a pastor. And he was talking about being the fastest growing church in America. And he was. Because I was there on Sunday morning. And they built big warehouses next to the tiny little frame church that had been the original site. Dan was there as well. And we stood in awe as young teenagers. We stood in awe, 19 and 18 years old, seeing something we have never seen before. And that was about 50 buses, old, ugly school buses that he had gotten out of some school bus boneyard. And he had retrofitted. And there were over 2,000 little children every Sunday morning that were filing out of those buses and coming to Sunday school. They were fed. If they needed clothing, they provided it. They were there to preach the gospel because they had a vision of stopping the generational chain of curses. It will not go to the next generation. See, the fact is, they're lost, and that means they're deprived of the glory of God's power and presence. Isn't it wonderful that we just want God to move? And when we come here to this Holy Ghost Church, you know what we're saying? More, God, more, more, more. I'll never forget, I had a coach years ago that had a son that played on my football team. And I watched after a game where these boys had given their all. They had laid it on the line. As that coach went and bought a hamburger, big cheeseburger. I mean, it was beautiful. <laughs> and he walked on that bus and he passed up every hungry boy and handed his boy the only burger. And I thought, oh God, that's like us, isn't it? More, more, more when they have nothing. More, 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 more of your glory. More of your presence. More of your power. Let me just say something to you. If that's what this church becomes, eventually God will lift his hand because God only has one dream. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoso believeth should have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. There needs to be a manifest glory because the glory touches everybody that walks through those doors, but don't ever get to the place where you're walking past hungry people and handing a believer a burger. Lost, it means that they'll die in their sin and they will spend eternity in a literal hell. We don't think about it much anymore, do we? I even hear Christians say this often. You know, I just believe that God finds a way to reach them all. I just feel that God is so loving that he's going to somehow in the ether that is between this world and the next, give them another chance to repent. Let me just say this to you, and you, you've got to hear it. That's not what Jesus taught. And that's not what the apostles taught. The reason the apostles were able, even in great persecution, 
to never, ever lose their energy, their fire, their anointing, their stamina was because they cried out, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Yea, in all these things we are more than conquerors. They were saying this. Yeah, we're getting persecuted. Yes, we're getting killed on every hand. Yes, sometimes it's slow going. Yes, sometimes we don't see how we're going to get the job done. But we are conquering. We are taking territory. And you know what that territory was? Asia was going to get the gospel. Rome was going to get the gospel. The Mideast was going to get the gospel. And eventually the whole known world was going to get the gospel. We will be tenacious. We will be full of the fire of God until we are able to get this message to every creature we know they're lost and we are here to bring the lost into this house there's a feeling about this place this is the place where lost people get found there's a feeling about this place this is the place where the salvation story is still preached. There's a feeling about this place. And that is that we're not just after people that are going to be well known and well thought of in the community. But give us every marginalized, addicted, hopeless man and woman. And let them come to this house. Because this is the place where they can be found. They are lost. And they will die in their sin and spend eternity in a literal hell. They are lost. And this is the second they in this passage. They have never heard. They have never heard. How shall they hear, the scripture asks. You know, statistics say that 10% of the world's population makes up what we call the unreached people groups. That is, the gospel has never in history been introduced there. I don't know if Scott Holmes has been here. Has he been here? No, sir. The district uh, overseer of the denomination of the Assemblies of God is a young man out of our church. And I will never forget when God turned his world upside down. He had studied geology at Centenary University, which some call an Ivy League school of the South. Highbrow, intellectual, high academic place. You graduate from Centenary, you got a good degree. And he was on his way to work for his father's company. His father's very prosperous. In fact, makes, has, had made, has made millions of dollars. He's a man of God. And God got a hold of him. He said, no, that's not what you're going to do. You're not going to be a land man. You are going to be a man that takes territory from me. He and his precious wife, also out of our church, knew that they were called to foreign missions. They were called to go to unreached people. They were called to go overseas. And so they applied to the denomination to be able to go. And they had two small children and they said, you know, you, you really aren't going to be able to get uh, an appointment with those two children that you have. So uh, we don't have anything for you. And so um, they've found out that there was a need for school teachers in the Marshall Islands. So they just packed up and went to be school teachers in the Marshall Islands. They were making nothing, but it was the first foot in the door to be able to fulfill the call on their lives. They came back to Shreveport, Louisiana after that, and my mom gave them both a job teaching at Evangel Christian Academy. And uh, she has always been a facilitator of young ministers of the gospel. How she loves John Skipworth. He's her favorite. I'm just telling you. 
She told me to tell you, John, that she's under the weather as she had been right here with me. She can't wait to see what God's doing here. But she put both of them teaching it. And of course, wow, what, a, what teachers, very educated people and great school teachers, but understanding that they were called elsewhere. In fact, there was an agreement that they made and that was, sister, we are called to the mission field and we're going to teach here because we have no other appointment or door open. But when the door is open, we just ask that you allow us to go immediately. And there was a gentleman in our church who uh, had a son-in-law in Bernal, Siberia. Siberia. And, um, I, I, you know, I have never in my life considered a call to Siberia to be the will of God for my own life. I mean, I, I, I can just tell you. But there was a house church that had begun there. And they felt it was the will and calling of God that they go to Siberia. They came to my mom and my mom said, absolutely, you can go. And not only that, because you've been faithful to come here and to serve us, as long as you are a missionary, we're going to pay your salary, Scott, and we're going to pay Kara's salary. And she did that the whole time that they were missionaries. They went to the 1040 window, that unreached people group area across Northern Asia. And when they went there, there was not one full gospel church anywhere to be found. In fact, there were only a handful of Christian missions, very, very small, under a dozen people attending in the entire region. When Pastor Scott left that place, there were 25 thriving Holy Ghost churches with facilities that had been established in an unreached people group. And 10 teen challenge centers. Well, I can tell you, it was my joy to travel with him there. And when I got there, I couldn't believe it. I said, this is like the Apostle Paul. It wasn't like it is here where the airports are, you know, under guard all the time. Uh, you know, in Russia, if you do something squirrely at an airport, they just kill you and it takes care of it. So when we got off of that airplane, down the gangplank, there was a whole line of men waiting and women waiting. And they were weeping because their apostle had come back home. And as he walked down, each of them embraced him, weeping, kissing his hand, so happy that he had come. Why? Because he had, for the first time, made sure they heard the glorious sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. We have to prioritize those that have never had a gospel witness. And they're not all in Siberia. Some of them live next door to you in your neighborhood. You say, just because we live in a country where there is an inundation of Christian television, where there seems to be a church on every corner and maybe another one in the middle of the block, where there is so much Christian literature available, where Christian athletes regularly invoke the name of Jesus, Everybody's heard, but they haven't. I understand you had Pastor Glenn Berto here recently. When I met Glenn Berto, he'd never heard. He was, he was a college athlete, never heard. Not one time had anybody ever given him the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't know one book in the Bible. He didn't know one Christian song. He knew absolutely nothing. He was a part of an unreached people's group. 
Tomorrow morning, what would happen if you went back to work and you made it your determination that before you leave that place of business for another or maybe retire, that every person in the proximity of where you have an assignment is at least going to get a viable witness. Never forget, I have a friend in Shreveport, Louisiana, by the name of Ernest Palmasano. And all I can tell you is that that vowel on the end of his name, it means something. He's a connected guy. I've always loved Ernest. And Ernest loves me. We had a deal years ago that we got into in our church. And uh, there was a gentleman that was accused of some things. And this gentleman hadn't lied to me in 15 years, so I stood with him. And the whole city was in an uproar. I was on the front page 16 times during that period where they were calling me everything from an extortioner to a blackmailer to a cover-up artist. And yet I couldn't move because this man had always acted with integrity. And I didn't know what he had done or had not done at that point. So I stood with it. Well, I went to eat at Ernest. And Ernest, coming from his background, just thought I was being a stand-up guy and not a rat. So I walked in. He comes roaring out of the kitchen, towel across his shoulder, in his chef's outfit, and he stops the whole dining room. He goes, hey! And I'm standing there going, what in the world? And he says, champion of champions. Then he says, if they get to you, they got to go true me. (laughs) I don't know what that meant. And I didn't want to know what it meant. (laughs) But Ernest one night was closing up his restaurant and three men came with hoods over their head and uh, they robbed him. There were 16 of his employees there and they beat him up with a pistol and he had big contusions and scars on his face. I went to see him the next day. So I went by and I sat down with him and I said, Ernest, uh, has anybody ever shared with you how that if something like that went south, that you could be sure you go to heaven. And he looked at me and said, no, I don't think they have. They have never heard. Folks, don't you think everybody deserves to at least hear? Do do you think that this week you could step through your own self-consciousness? And even if it makes you miserable to speak to people or invade their space, couldn't you just be miserable for a moment and at least allow them to hear? I shared it with Ernest. Ernest said, I sure appreciate it after I finished the plan of salvation. I said, well, Ernest, listen, I'm here, you're here. It's the middle of the afternoon in his restaurant. We were sitting at a table in the middle. The restaurant's closed, only open on the evening, in the evenings. I said, Ernest, uh, would you like me to, to pray with you? And you can just right now ask Jesus, oh, I sure would appreciate it. Well, I started to take his hand, but as, as I reached for him, he just immediately got off of his chair and got on his knees. Tears flowing. I said, just repeat this prayer after me, Ernest. Jesus, I know that you're the savior of the world. Will you please come into my life and change my life? Well, he he prayed that prayer. Got up light of God immediately in his eyes gave me a big hug oh thank you thank you I love you thank you 
A friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, came by to see him just a little while after that, that afternoon. When he walked in, Ernest was still just full of joy. He said, hey, our buddy came by. He said, you mean Denny? He said, yeah, he took care of me. He got me in. Now, folks, this is where I am in my life. I want everybody to hear. Sometimes we'll get in the streets to march against one sin, but we don't have the guts to confront one sinner. Every one of us in this place have got to get back to why we do what we do. You say, oh, no, 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 I'm an intercessor. That's my ministry. Let me tell you something. If you're a true intercessor and you commune with the heart of God, then you are also at the same time a rabid evangelist fulfilling the purpose of God in the earth. Don't tell me you can spend time with the sovereign and not understand what his will is. His will is that none be lost, but all be reconciled. Hallelujah. You know, I, uh, I can't imagine how horrible it would be to go to hell from the 1040 window. But to go to hell from Monroe, Louisiana, where there are hundreds of churches and thousands of believers and to have never heard in Monroe... How do you explain that? I mean, folks, I promise you, if the purpose of this church remains that everybody here have a viable witness, then every dream you have of a city-shaking, government-impacting, culture-expanding body of believers will take place. But our first goal... It's got to be that they are able to hear. Uh, That brings us to the next they. The Bible says the next they is they who preach. Turn to the person beside you and say, preach, preacher. Now, you do understand when... This passage was penned. There were no great sanctuaries where hundreds and thousands gathered. The church was highly organized in the book of Acts. Make no mistake about it. And it was responsibly governed. But the preaching was done primarily by a guerrilla force of righteous revolutionaries who were entrenched in every segment of society. That sounds like the mission statement for this church, doesn't it? A group of righteous revolutionaries entrenched in every segment of society. In the book of Acts, they are indeed the salt of the earth. They are pastors. They are apostles. They are church fathers. But they're also merchants and physicians, fishermen, craftsmen, soldiers, and government employees. They are the foundation stones of two millenniums of gospel preachers. They were all preachers of the gospel. And they are much, much more. They are those who have drunk deeply from the well of life and they want everybody else to have living water. They are captives who have been released and they want every slave of sin to be set free. They are former addicts that now crave more of God and want every junkie to get high on Jesus. They are those who have had a vision of hell and are determined that their families, friends, and co-workers will not go there. They are folks who have discovered the community and culture of the Lord's church. And they are relentlessly reaching out to welcome the isolated, the lonely, and the marginalized. They are not perfect, these preachers. But they can preach 
because they know they're qualified by grace. They are not theologians, but they can preach because they know the power of the word of their testimony. They are not brilliant by the world's standards, but they can preach because they have the mind of Christ. They are not all wise by human standards. They're not influential. They're not of noble birth, but they can preach because they know God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the lowly things of the world and the despised things and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. Who are they? They're the heroes of the faith. They've committed to live for the gospel and die for the gospel. They are the 105,000 men, women, and children who in the last year preached to those who had never heard by being martyred for their message. They gladly laid their lives down because they were they who preached. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 talks about them. It says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Somebody say word of God. And the testimony that they held. In life and death, they are preachers. They are almost everywhere on this planet preaching this gospel. And they are in this room. Every preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're not ashamed, you get on your feet right now and put your hands together and give him glory. Come on. Give him glory and honor and praise. Hallelujah. may be seated. I, uh, I have a little store in the neighborhood where I live. And it, it has always, always been a great blessing to me. They have the best fried chicken. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to make you hungry now. And it has always been run by Muslims, young men uh, who are Islamic. Now, watching these young men's lives, I understand that they're kind of backslidden Muslims. <laughs> they don't live by any moral code. And there's one fella that had the store and I noticed him. He was just bouncing all the time. Just, he just filled the room with energy. You know? So one day I was in his store and I got to the register and the preach rose up in me. So here's what will happen. If you literally take it on yourself as your mission in life to make everybody that you meet a candidate for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you make it your goal to make sure no one leaves your presence without at least having a chance to know the gospel. You'll get addicted to that. I'm telling you, there is no addiction like the addiction to participating with the Holy Spirit in the conversion of men and women. There's nothing like it. So one of the things I do, and I'll pass this on to you, is that I will share in this way. I'll ask somebody, you know, I'm a man of God. Sometimes when I pray, miracles happen. What can I pray with you about right now? Now, people will turn down a witness, but they rarely... And so this jovial, wonderful man, young man behind that counter, had a young family, three beautiful boys. He, uh, he said, well, my, my business, pray for my business. It's okay, let's do that. 
I grabbed his hand. We began to pray right there openly for his business. He bowed his head, not ashamed. I said, in the name of Jesus. Well, the next time I walked into that store, if you could hold up just one second. The next time I walked into that, into that store, I'm ADD. So I, I, this happens to me all the time. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I can't help it. Sorry. I'm sorry. I know you did that to me, but that's okay. That's okay. I forgive you. That's all right. Okay. Okay. Now, what was I talking about? Okay. And so, so then, so then what happens is the next time I walk in, there's a line out the door. It's only out the door. So I'm at the back of the store and, and he's up there. The line's here. And so I just yelled out, hey, his name was Hassan. And he said, you can call me Haas. I said, just like Haas Cartwright. That's great. <laughs> he said, no, 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 not Haas. Haas. I said, okay, I got it. Haas. So I said, Haas, look at the line. He said, oh yeah. God's blessed my business because Pastor Denny prayed in the name of Jesus. When I got to the front of the line, he came out from behind the counter and the next four people in line had to pray in our circle. I don't even know if he knew him. <laughs> he had never heard, never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. His mom and dad had helped build the, uh, the mosque in Dearborn, Michigan. And all he had known was a Muslim culture his whole life. Well, he came, I kept praying with him, kept coming back, buying chicken from him. And he, so he comes out one day and he goes, he goes, would you talk to me about God? And the Holy Spirit checked me like that. And what came out of my mouth surprised me. I said, no. I said, I can't talk to you about God yet. One day, I'll talk to you about God, but not right now. Do you know that the Lord kept bringing me back? And every time he checked me that I couldn't talk to him about God. Now, I want to stop right here and just do this little sidebar, and I want you to get it. Sometimes... If you are not ashamed of Jesus, just who you are in a context and setting is the most convicting part of your testimony. One day he said, will you give me a Bible at least? I said, oh yeah, I'll give you a Bible. I didn't even ask God about that. I went and got a Bible. I gave it to him. He said, thank you so much. On Easter Sunday that year, which was about a month after that, I gave the invitation for people to know Jesus. And when I stood there, I looked down to my left, smiling up at me was Haas. That day when he surrendered his life to Jesus, he was so completely transformed by the power of God that the next day he sent me a text. He said, the last 24 hours have been the most special in my life. Would you come to the store to see me? I immediately went the next day when I walked in, he said, would you teach me how to read the Bible? I said, I already gave you Bible. He said, I know, but I was afraid of it. <laughs> he said, I never opened it. So he went back into his little makeshift office. He pulled it, took the cellophane off of it. I said, we'll start with the book of John. He thought I was having a senior moment. He said, no, 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 pa pastor, pastor, look at me. You didn't give me that book. You gave me the Bible. I said, no, no, this is the way. And I explained it. I turned to John. 
start there. The next text I got is a treasure for me always. He said, you knew exactly what had to happen for me. You knew that if you had talked to me about God, that I would have thought and rationalized that you had just talked me into it. You knew that it had to be my own story. He said, in all the time, you knew it was right here in John 3, 16, 17, and 18. Let me tell you, look at me and listen to me. We are they who preach. And I want you to stand with me, please, all over this place. You say, where is Haas now? Haas, right now, is working with a young man at a center for Muslim outreach in Dearborn, Michigan. When we baptized Haas, the imam said to his wife, you are now a free woman. When his head hit the water, you are free to go. She took his bank account and his three babies, three boys, and went to Dearborn. He moved there to be with the boys and to be able to go to their ball games and involved in their lives. She's now remarried to an Islamic gentleman. And he is working with a young pastor by the name of Pastor Trey, who was the punter on my Evangel University football team, who I led into the baptism of the Holy Ghost when he was a teenager in Birmingham, Alabama. So I was able to send a relative to a relative, and they're doing great things for God. And I was in attendance at Haas's graduation this year from Southeastern University. He's studying theology. You say, how does all that happen? Wow, no, no, do you understand what I just talked to you about? I've preached to crowds of 30 and 40,000 people. I didn't talk about that to you this morning. I've had the joy to, to establish missions organizations. I didn't talk to you about that. I've had a lot of opportunities as a preacher. I didn't talk to you about preaching from a stage. I talked to you about what we all do as preachers. You see, I handed you something that's in your grasp. I handed you something that you can do today and tomorrow and every day. And this church will explode. Come up and play. By the way, by the way, that man can sing. It's amazing. Wow. The last day is this. How will they go unless they are sent? Tonight, I'm coming back. Five o'clock for kingdom builders. Don't you even come unless you want your life to be radically changed. And unless you want to understand the Father's heart concerning your role and how God wants to prosper you and multiply you so you can do more. Tonight, the last part of the they, they who do the sending. Now, look at me and listen to me. There is something called assurance. And in the old days, this was the only mark of salvation that people talked about. I'm talking about the days of Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield. Guys, you may not even know their names, but I'm talking about centuries ago in the United States, in Europe. These theologians talked about one thing above all else when it came to salvation, assurance. For instance, if I were to talk to you and ask you, are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? And you might say this, well, I hope, I hope it is. Me and the good Lord have always kind of had an understanding 
I wouldn't bother him if he wouldn't bother me. All I want you to understand is the proof of salvation has always been assurance. Your spirit and heart, your spirit will not lie to you. If you are absolutely sure your life is right with God, then you have assurance. Are you absolutely sure your name is written in God's book of life? Yeah, of course I am. And there's no check. There's no hesitation. Are you absolutely sure that your life is right with God, that God has done a work in you? You know, the Lord has put it on my heart to raise up some preachers in this place. So we're going to preach today. Say, how are we going to do that? When I give you the signal, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person beside you. I don't care if it's your husband, your wife, your best friend, the most powerful intercessor in your house. I don't care if it's somebody that you've known your whole life. and you. No, no, we're going to, we're going to practice preaching, all of us. But at the same time, God is going to do something miraculous in this place. Because some of you are going to come to the conclusion, I know that I believe in God, but I'm not really sure that my life is right with God. I'm not sure that if I die today, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm not really sure. We're going to turn to each other when I give you the signal, and you're going to ask this question. Are you absolutely sure your life is right with God. And if that person says no, then I want you and that individual two by two, I want you to step out and come together and stand right here. Because just like Ernest Pomisano, we're going to take care of this. We're going to get you in this morning. When I give you the signal, I don't want anybody laughing, talking, praising. We're going to do all that later, okay? But right now, we're going to stay reverent and focused. Because today, you not only are going to become a preacher, this is going to become a lifestyle where you are able to look at people that you work with and live around and say, hey, man, are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? Hey, ma'am, are you absolutely sure? Hey, Betty, are you sure your life is right with God? It's going to be a lifestyle for all of us. Now, I know it probably already is. But I can tell you that I've just come to affirm what you already know, what you already believe, and what is already your culture. But right now, I'm going to ask you quietly and reverently, I want you to turn to the person beside you. I want you to ask them this question. Are you absolutely sure your life's right? If that person says no, I want the two of you to get into the aisle and come and stand right here. Ask them right now. Are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? If they're not sure, come down. Come down. Yes. This is our time. This is our time. Praise the Lord. All of these wonderful preachers that are being raised up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just stand right here. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Come down. Yeah. Praise God. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn this over to one of the greatest preachers and soul winners that I've met on this planet, and that's your pastor. So he's going to take it from here. But I want you right now, everybody in this place, I want you 
to just for a moment let me pray a prayer of thanksgiving for this moment. Can I do that? I want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for you, okay? Everybody just bow your heads, shut yourselves away with God. Now, Jesus, in a moment, pastor's going to come and lead everyone here in a prayer that's going to allow every one of them to leave with assurance. Oh, God, we don't want to talk people into assurance. We want you to give them assurance. Let it be something they own. But I pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, with all of my heart, that this will be a moment of moments for those that are here. And I want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Say thank you. Thank you for stopping the service just to reach somebody who needed clarity. Thank you that every individual here will walk away from this place with assurance in Jesus' name.